All right, let's take our Bibles and turn in the New Testament to Luke chapter 7. And let's talk about what the Bible says about being a people of faith. Christians are to be called a people of faith, and not just to be called that, but to live out their faith and to live out our relationship with God and our trust in Christ. Luke 7, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, When Jesus finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered, he entered Capernaum, and there a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servants. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Let's praise God for that. Amen. Father, this morning we just thank you for this, uh, this miracle of healing that your son did in this man's life, this servant's life, that you would bring healing to him. And I pray, God, today that for everyone here who's struggling with some health issue, some uh, spiritual issue or emotional issue or whatever issue they're dealing with, Lord, you would bring some sort of healing and wholeness to that for them that you'd bring your presence into their very lives, into all of our lives, Lord, and that you would you would be the answer to our need. We know, Lord, that you are. We know, Lord Jesus, that you are our, our greatest need, is to have you in our lives, and we pray for that. We pray, Lord, that you'll build our faith. Father, we need to, our faith to be strengthened these days. We need our faith to be built. We need it to, to help and guide us and direct us, Lord, to seek you out when we have needs. And today, Lord, I pray for those who need your son for their salvation, for their Savior, and for their lordship. I pray that, that you will speak to each person here today, Lord, wherever they're at with you. You would speak to each person about their own walk with you and that Christ would become their Savior, I pray in Christ's name for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, as you know, tomorrow is Memorial Day, right? Today, today is Sunday, but tomorrow is Memorial Day. People all over America are going to be visiting cemeteries if they haven't already done that. They'll go to memorial services to honor those who died in military service. Many people know, you maybe some of you know somebody who died in war fighting for our country. Volunteers have been busy this entire week throughout our country planting American flags on the gravestones of, uh, of veterans around the world, around America. At Arlington National Cemetery, every gravestone there will have an American flag planted front and center because they died for that flag. I remember growing up in the 70s, we used to get the little poppy flags. Remember those little poppy flowers? You hardly ever see those anymore. I don't know why they're not doing that anymore. We used to get them from the BFW. This is a tradition that began a long time ago at the end of World War I. My grandfather fought in World War I. He survived, came back, raised a family, but the war never left him. I'm sure he saw some horrendous things. Well, it was a terrible war. And the tradition with the poppy here in America began, it was based on the poem called In Flanders Field. During World War I in Flanders Field, the cannon bombardments on both sides destroyed so much ground 
nothing would grow for a long time. The ground was so tore up and so destroyed, nothing grew for a long time except for poppy flowers that sprang up amongst the graves of the dead, the soldiers. In Flanders Field was written by a Canadian military physician, Colonel John McRae. He was a physician who also led a combat company as well. And he officiated at his best friend's funeral when he was killed in battle. And as he was officiating that, that funeral service in France for his friend, he noticed there were poppies all over the cemetery. So he wrote this poem. Listen to the In Flanders Field poem. In Flanders Fields the poppies grow between the crosses row on row. Then mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly. Scars heard amid the guns blow. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders Field. Take up our quarrel with the foe to you from fallen hands. We throw the torch be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. It was a totally different time in the world. A time when men thought that things were going to get really good, and then this war came along and changed everybody's worldview, even the Christian worldview to a sense. Memorial Day is a great tradition here in America. It's a day we really stop or we should stop to remember those who died for us, who gave everything, including their very lives, for our freedoms. Freedom is not cheap, is it? No. So we take a day out of the year, or at least we should, to stop and remember, to fly the flag, but to remember also those who died for us. But friends, we're not here today to remember the dead. We're not here today in this place to, to remember those who died for us. We're to remember the one who died and rose again. Amen? That's right. Amen. The one who overcame the grip of death so that all who might believe in him might live with him in heaven forever, even those who served in the military. I remember when I served at church in Colorado, we were there. And, um, we had a veterans group that met there, and they were, a, they were kind of a counseling group. They were kind of a support group. And they had a counselor who would come in and talk to them, and they'd deal with their issues. Many of them were from Korea. Some of them were from Vietnam. Some for one were from Desert Storm. I had this one gentleman who came into my office to talk to me, and he had served in Korea. He had actually killed men, Korean men, who, fought, who he fought against. And he struggled mightily with his faith in Jesus. Would God forgive him for doing that? And I would, I would tell him that, yes, God forgives you. Because Jesus Christ died for you and you accepted his death on your behalf, he will forgive you. He has forgiven you. And yes, it's a terrible thing, and you're going to have to deal with that. And we would talk. He would come in several times and talk to me. He won a purple heart, a silver star, and a bronze star. He was so proud of that that he brought those things to show me. I took Connor with me one day and stopped him and had him come and visit with this man who had served our country so well and who was so broken because of war and who, like, like many others, turned to Jesus Christ because of that faith that he needed. We're here to remember the one who, rose, who died and rose again, the one who overcame the grave, the one who lives that we might live with him. Tomorrow we'll remember the dead who died for our freedoms. At least I hope we will. Today we're looking at a passage in the Bible that shows what being a people of faith looks like. This passage talks about an encounter that Jesus had 
with a military man who never met face to face. They never meet face to face, at least in the scriptures they don't. And this man was in a time of crisis in his life. So what did he do in a time of crisis? What do you do? What does anybody do? This man turned to Jesus. I don't know if you have, but I would encourage you to do so if you haven't. Turn to Christ. This passage shows us the value of believing in Jesus Christ. This man lived out his faith as best he could at, at the moment that he had it. So can we. We who are called into a deeper relationship with God, a deeper faith in Christ, we must live out our faith too like this man did. He expressed his faith as little as it was. He expressed it. So can we and we should. Today our world needs to hear our expressions of faith in Jesus. He believed in Jesus Christ. Friends, you do too. You need to believe in Jesus. There is no other handle to hold on to. There is no other safety net that's going to catch you. There's nothing else but Jesus Christ in those times of crisis. The military man in this passage had enough faith to ask Jesus for help. Point number one on your outline. Your outline's on the back of the bulletin. Point number one, we have to have faith to ask for help. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? We have to have faith to ask for help. That maybe you need direction somewhere, so you ask someone. Guys, you ever get beat up because you don't ask for directions? I'm not afraid to ask for directions. Because frankly, I don't want to spend a half an hour to an hour trying to find my way when somebody can tell me how to get there. Yeah. We have to have faith to ask for help, no matter what that is, that someone else can help us with that need. Verse 1, look what it says. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Jesus had just finished teaching about what the Christian life really means outside the town. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. It's not the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Plain. And he went there and he taught about what it means to be a Christian, to follow him. You can read about that in the, in the, in the, verse, in the chapters before verse, or chapter 7. He finishes... And he's done talking to the crowd, and he goes to the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was a large fishing town on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Gospels tell us it's where Jesus spent the most time during the last three and a half years of his life. When he wasn't out ministering in other parts of uh, Jerusalem and also in Israel, he was here in, in this area around Capernaum. He preached in its synagogue. It had a synagogue. It was big enough to have its own worship center. He taught in many of the people's homes. But he was not well received there. People did not buy into his message. Even after he'd done several healing miracles there, people refused to believe in him. They refused to put their faith in him. In Luke 4, verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he lived that out. He understood that that was so true, and he said it. Many people in Capernaum saw Jesus perform great and mighty miracles, teach wonderful things, truths, eternal truths, but they didn't have faith in him at all. Isn't that sad? We're seeing that in today in America, aren't we? Preaching is done. Tracts are shared. Bibles are handled out, handed out. Radio programs with the gospel, with music. And we still see more and more people are refusing to believe in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, there in Capernaum, there a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. In Capernaum, there also lived a Roman soldier. Actually, there was an entire unit, a Roman unit there that was part of, they were the garrison there in that town. A centurion lived there. He had a servant. 
He was sick. A centurion was a man of war, a man of death. A centurion was an officer of the army. He would have had a hundred men under his command. That's why he was called a centurion. As a Roman soldier, he would have seen and done great and terrible things. I mean awful things. He had done great things like build roads and bridges and buildings and help to villages and, and things like that. Aqueducts. He would have done he would have built great things for the people. And he'd done terrible things like killed men in battle and even maybe even women and children. And it seems he was trying to make sense of his life. He was trying to find meaning and purpose because he began to pursue God. His worldview would have been very different, though, from what Jesus taught before going back into Capernaum. But he asked Jesus to help his dying servant, who he valued highly, it says, Luke says, for personal reasons. This servant would have been more than just someone like a slave. He would have been a friend. He would have been his bodyguard. He would have been a servant who done who did what he wanted him to do, but he would have been a special it would have been a very special relationship. So he valued this man highly. I've always liked the people in the Bible who asked Jesus to help someone they love, someone they care about. I've always thought that's really a unique relationship. Like the father in Mark chapter nine, whose son was possessed by an evil spirit. The apostles, they tried to help that young boy. They tried to cast that spirit out of that little boy, and they failed. So the father, in a moment of crisis, turned to Jesus Christ. In Mark 9, 22, the father asked Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, in an amazed sort of statement, Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my belief. Friend, let me ask you, are you there this morning? All right, do you believe some, but not enough? Or are you fully out into it? Are you fully out in the water of faith? Are you swimming in the, in the stream of faith? Do you believe? Or do you really believe? Are you clinging on to Christ? He'll help you overcome your unbelief. He'll build your faith. To be a people of faith, we have to have the faith to ask Jesus for help. And then we have to trust him to take care of our need his way. Here's the thing. When we ask Jesus for help, we have to let him meet our need his way. His answer is what's important. Not yours or mine. It's his answer that's needed. We simply need to make that request to him, lay that need before him, and then let him take care of it. We have to be just like the father for his son. Help us, I believe. Help my unbelief. We have to be like the centurion. We have to ask, we have to ask with enough faith so that he'll respond to our faith. And when, he, when we do that, he does. He will respond. To be a people of faith, we have to ask for, ask for help. Number two, we have to intercede for people, especially seekers. This is very important for this world today we live in. There are lots of people who are seeking God in many different ways, ways that we don't understand. I don't understand the Muslim, why they're seeking God that way. But they're seeking God, they're seeking some sort of answer somewhere, and they're just going in the wrong direction, in my opinion. So I want to point them to Jesus, don't you? Right? Amen? Yeah. The same is true for anybody with any other worldview other than the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. 
So we need to intercede for people, especially seekers. Look at verse 3. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. This centurion had enough faith in Jesus that he went to the elders of the synagogue and asked them to go to Jesus for him. You go intercede for him. You go intercede for me with Jesus. He had enough faith in Jesus to believe that Jesus could and would do something to help his servants. It wasn't much, but it was enough to get the ball rolling. Sometimes that's all we have to do is get the ball rolling. Take that first step of faith. And then let God respond to us. And by the way, so did the elders. They had to believe that Jesus could and would help the centurion's servant. So they approached Jesus with a centurion's request. Help my servant. Help this man's servant. This is how faith often works, by the way. Faith is often loosely connected. Do you know that? you realize that? It's often loosely connected. We all probably know someone who's not a follower of Christ. We all probably know someone who doesn't really believe Jesus is who he is. But they know we are. They know that we are followers of Jesus. And sometimes they will ask us to intercede with God, with God for them. They might not believe in prayer, but they know that we do. So they come to us and they ask us to pray for them, to intercede in prayer for them. Am I the only one that's ever happened to? Anybody else? Yeah, we all know people that have done that. That's an opportunity for you and I to pray in a deep way, in a passionate way for this person. Because they just asked us. They've opened themselves up. They've opened up their life to you for a moment. And they're trusting you with a need. And they believe that your God, your Savior, can do something for them. Isn't that something? Be passionate about that prayer. Notice from verse 4 and 5 how the synagogue elders interceded for Jesus. Look at it. Verse 4 and 5. It says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This is amazing to me. I don't know about you, but this is amazing to me. The synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus preached was built because this centurion paid for it. This unbeliever, this pagan, built a synagogue to God so the people of God could worship God. Isn't that amazing? It shows he was seeking God the only way he knew how through the Jewish people's faith in God. Now, the Jewish people and the Christians, we do worship the same God. At least the Jewish people who believe in the Old Testament do. Not all Jewish people believe the Old Testament anymore. But some Jews in the first century did believe in God, and they believed also in Jesus Christ. These elders, I think, believed in Jesus. And so they went to Jesus, and they told him they thought the centurion deserved his help. So their faith influenced the centurion to have faith in Jesus too, that, he, that Jesus could and would help heal his servant. Now this is not saving faith, at least not the centurions. It's not saving faith, but it's the seed of saving faith. Having faith in Jesus for small things often turns into 